right. Well, today is kind of different in a lot of ways because I'm sitting on stage in a chair, not from behind a pulpit, which I have never done this before, Omri, in this setup. We had a Q&A last time, and uh, I stood from the pulpit and interviewed Rich, who kind of stood on one knee over there. <laughs> Did not work well. It, his answers were great because it was impromptu. I didn't tell him I was going to do it, and then I just surprised him. So we did a Q&A that week, but I got a lot of, uh, they said, can you please have some chairs next time and uh, sit on the stage? So that's what we're doing. Well, hey, I'm excited to have my friend Omri here. This is Omri Miles, for those of you who don't know him. And uh, he and his family are here with us. They're staying with us. He's going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. Um, his wife, Emily, is in the back. Emily, you want to raise your hand? She's sitting next to Mary. Oh, there's Mary. Oh, you were, you were bent down when I looked back. I was like, oh, she's not here. Yeah, so um, super excited to have them uh, with us this week. And Omri is one of the pastors of Grace Bible Church in Tempe, Arizona. So, Tempe, I think it's hot this week. And they're like, you have no idea how hot it is in Tempe. So it's hot and there's scorpions. Something that my son is pretty interested in. Um, but anyway, he's, uh, he's one of the pastors out there, and um, that church is one of the TES churches, so they're, we kind of view them as a sister church because they're part of that network of the Expositor Seminary. And um, like me, Omri went through the program there and graduated. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2020. In 2020. And so um, he's an elder out there at the church. He's been shepherding. Uh, he wears a lot of hats, right? Even though you don't have any hair, you still wear a lot of hats. <laughs> and uh, he does... You can laugh. That's okay. Uh, of note, uh, he's worked with the college and career. Yep. And he oversees their biblical counseling ministry as well. So there's other things you do, but uh, that's kind of worthy to kind of point out, and that'll make more sense. And while we're up here in just a minute, we're going to talk about anxiety and depression, and they're going to grill you with their hardest questions. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Bring it on. Um, so... While he's an elder in Tempe, he's also, you guys probably know this from the video that played a couple months back, we, he sent us a video and you guys bought a bunch of his shirts and he's very thankful for that. Do you have them on underneath your, like I almost did that today, <laughs> but I thought that would be kind of weird if I kind of opened up and, and showed <laughs> you guys. Thank you whoever that. bought those shirts too, by the way. That was, that was a great fundraiser for us. We had a lot of fun and uh, it's cool seeing people wearing that so yeah no if, if you contributed thank you so much we went to gym night the other night and like a lot of us had them on and we we're like oh yeah that's cool uh so maybe we'll do that hey if you have a shirt come to gym night on thursday i don't know if you'll be there but wear your shirts just in case he is there <laughs> that'll be fun um speaking of shirts and fundraising uh omri and his family are planting a church plan to plant a church in the fall uh, of this year so um that's very exciting. He's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But I got to know Omri. Uh, we met. When did we meet? I got, not in Israel. We met before Israel. We met after a uh, Courageous Churchman conference in the airport on the way home. That's right. Um, and I think that was 2021, 20, maybe? Yeah, I have no idea. Something like that. And it was like the last thing that we did in Jupiter. And you were sitting outside. On the, on the tables outside of Burger King yep. in the airport, and we met, and then we exchanged numbers, exchanged resources. I think you were having some guys read Courageous Churchmen yep. or something, Yep. 
And I was. And you had beginning. read that, and you had just taken some guys through that. Yep. And I wanted your notes. Yep. Yeah, that's what it was. So then, passing passing meeting. Then we went to Israel, and uh, really just hit it off there, and um, just spent two weeks in Israel this past winter, and uh, yeah, just got to hear his heart about um, New Orleans and what he's doing out there, and yeah, we just had some really great conversations long into the morning hours. Um, which have continued this week, uh, but it's, it's a sweet time just to have them up here and, and chatting. So I was already planning a Q&A for today um, to give you guys a chance to ask any questions about depression and anxiety, so we're going to do that. And, uh, but with you coming, Omri, I thought, well, this is perfect. Um, I can just get you up here, and they can ask you all the really hard questions that I don't want to answer. <laughs> so that's what we'll do. And... Uh, but before we get into all that, um, Omri, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you guys are doing right now. Why are you here? Um, kind of what, what's been going on? Yeah, so I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. Grew up in New Orleans East and left in 2004 for college. God saved me a few years later, my last semester in college in 2008. And I grew up my, my parents were Christians. My dad's been preaching for as long as I can remember, for as long as I've been alive. And I made a profession of faith at, at a young age and knew the gospel. But it wasn't until college when the oversight of my parents and sort of their uh, restraints on my own sin were taken off that uh, I realized I was not a believer. Um, I was a slave to my sin. And so God just exposed me, uh, had to humble me in college. And I came to Saving Faith in February of 2008. And when I was hearing the high caliber preaching that I was hearing that weekend in particular, as God's working in my heart, I was realizing they are not hearing this in New Orleans. Uh, just the expository preaching, preaching like I'm sure you guys get week in and week out. Uh, I was not hearing preaching uh, at that that level with that clarity. The articulation of the gospel was uh, really new to me. Um, to hear so clearly God was not indifferent toward my own sin, but that his wrath was against me. Um, God was furious. You know what Psalm 7 says, God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Uh, that was, that concept was, was new to me. And then to hear that Jesus didn't just die as an example or, you know, some act of goodwill toward whoever might come, but no, he actually endured real wrath against real sinful thoughts, real sinful words, real sinful deeds, that I was having, things happening that only I knew about at the heart level. Um, God's wrath was absorbed by Christ against real sins. And so it, it made sense uh, for the first time why, if I believe, I can actually be saved because the wrath that God has against me, Christ endured on the cross. And so God just used that to open my eyes in February 2008. And as I'm thinking... Of, of what people aren't hearing in New Orleans while God is saving me, just my, my desire and 
for New Orleans to bring the gospel to New Orleans and my conversion were just, they were went hand in hand. And so at that time, my older brother was at our church in uh, Tempe and sending me sermons and telling me how much he was learning and growing. So I graduated from college in Georgia in 2008. Uh, a month later, uh, found myself 1,500 miles west of New Orleans to be discipled and equipped. And basically, it's been 15 years of uh, equipping, training, learning, growing, maturing, uh, preparing for pastoral ministry in New Orleans. And so where we're at now, we have uh, my family and four other households who are planning to relocate in, in November from Arizona to New Orleans. I'm the only one that's from New Orleans originally, but um, everybody else is just, uh, they love our family, they love the gospel, and have uh, benefited from the kind of ministry we want to we see happen in New Orleans. So they're all uprooting their lives and uh, planning to transition um, in the fall. Yeah. So what's your family doing in these, these few weeks here? Yeah, so what we're doing here, uh, my elders back home have been gracious to give me six weeks away from ministry to travel. And so we are hitting a number of TES campuses uh, between, well, we, we're, we just left Houston. We went from Phoenix to Houston. Spent a few days in New Orleans, one night in Atlanta. We're spending a week here with you guys. Uh, we'll be up in New York with Joey Gonzalez, another TES grad. And then we'll stop one night in Winston-Salem on our way to Jupiter, Florida, and that's kind of where we'll end our trip and then book it back to Phoenix. Drive back to Phoenix. <laughs> Drive back. So all, we're, we're doing a bunch of driving. Um, and all of these ministries uh, are just different as they seek to serve the specific church's needs, the, the, the sheep that they're serving. That, uh, and so each ministry, as like-minded as we are, has just different nuances, different facets uh, to the ministry. And so... Those have been beneficial uh, from afar already as I've listened to the teaching, uh, read books that some of our guys have written in, in different things. And so to get um, sort of a close-up of some of the ministries, meeting with the pastors, hearing how they think about leadership dynamics, how uh, they're raising up elders, how the various ministries work within the churches, that's all been beneficial. And so... I'm spending the week doing those things, learning, uh, just as I think about New Orleans so that I can be as prepared as possible to go. Yeah, good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's been sweet to have you here and uh, getting to catch up with you, meet your family, and see your kids. So yeah. happy to have you. So we'll, we'll try to prevail on them to come to Thursday night uh, basketball because oh, he can play a little too well. I didn't bring any shoes. You didn't have any shoes in Israel. <laughs> and you still were able to. Well, we'll, 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 we'll let that go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a great segue to depression. 
No, seriously. Um, yeah, we like to we like to laugh, like to have fun. So he's he's a, he can take it. He can take it. He did dunk on me in Israel. So there it is. I'll 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 leave. It was that a out. lower rim. For full disclosure, which makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. I just have to own it. Yeah, I have to. I can't. I can't make excuses. Okay, I just have to own own my own my weakness there. So. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, just kind of making the transition now, I uh, want to give some, you know, keep some time here. We could talk all day about church planting and um, just your heart there, and I'm sure you'll, you guys don't be shy to come up and talk to this family. Uh, there's a lot of sweet, uh, sweet things you can glean from them, so, and while they're around, um, about church planting and their heart for Matthew 28 and making disciples, and um, so yeah, do that. But for now, let's, let's pivot to um, talking about depression and anxiety and um, obviously, we've had four weeks on those topics uh, here. You've kind of heard how I've thought through them, um, how our church kind of approaches some of those things. But we've got another real live pastor here uh, that does a lot, of, a lot of shepherding from the same theology and philosophy of ministry. So um, I'll kind of tee it up, and then I want to open it up to you guys and, and ask any of your, any of your questions, seriously, uh, that you have. Um, but I just, one question kind of to get us going with depression, Omri, is just when somebody comes to you, um, even if it's, I mean, it really doesn't matter because all our hearts are the same, but let's think like kind of collegiate age person comes to you and they say, I'm just struggling with depression. That ever happened? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you help them? Yeah. It's a big, a big subject, but when you have a real person sitting in front of you saying that they're struggling with this, I just want to ask uh, a plethora of questions to understand what they mean by that. I don't want to make assumptions. Um, and we live in a day and age where we're taught that our, our feelings, our emotions dictate uh, what we do. And, and in a lot of ways, they are determinative to the common, common man. And so uh, things that, that I want to know just on a surface level uh, you know, what do you mean by that? Uh, how long has that been happening? How much sleep are you getting? What's your diet like? Just uh, really basic things. I want to know um, in terms of, of why are you depressed? Usually people, um, the why questions aren't always as helpful. Um, but when I, after I'm asking, like, what do you mean by that? Uh, usually what's behind the the sadness, the melancholy, the despondency is, uh, if, you, if you just think about man as a, 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 whole, a whole being, right? We're embodied souls. So all of the functions of your human constitution, not just your body, but your will, your desires, your uh, volition, your choices, your motivations, your thinking, and your emotions. All of those things are just wrapped up. And when you're, when you're bringing a problem like depression to the table, all of those things are involved. And so as pastors, as, as friends, as counselors, we're, you're really trying to sort through <laughs> and distinguish some of those things. Um, you know, the choices that somebody's making, 
apart from how they're feeling, the choices that they're making, how they're thinking, what they desire, what they're being motivated by, all of those things impact, at the end of the day, the depressed feelings. And so knowing that just biblically, God's given us all of those various facets of man, and you can't isolate one from the other. In other words, you can't say, well, how I'm thinking about the Lord, about my circumstances, about my relationships, about myself, none of that has to do with my sadness. So fix my sadness and don't worry about those things. So knowing that, I'm trying to understand something about each of those things. How are you thinking? Um, what is your, your practice, uh, your, your actions? Um, what are you being motivated by? What things do you want? And through conversation, I'm learning those things. Obviously, if you already know somebody, you already have a, a head start right. in answering some of those questions. So as you just think about being involved in each other's life, um, when someone's feeling a certain way, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, then your closest friends, Lord willing, will be your best counselors because they've got uh, a leg up on answering some of those questions. And then once you've, once you've kind of got some ideas of maybe what some of the root issues are at that point, then kind of what's the next step in your, your discipling of them, mentoring of them? Yeah, assuming that the, the issue isn't primarily um, some identifiable physical abnormality, right. Right. right? You've got a tumor growing in your brain. You're not getting enough sleep. Like, that's, that's one category, um, and it's not, I would say, not the main one. Right. Um, those physical abnormalities are diagnosable. Uh, they produce sudden changes in, in somebody's behavior. And so you can usually identify those things. So assuming that nothing's wrong physically and that, you know, they're a, a healthy individual, then beyond that, really, you're, you're aiming at what the Bible can address. Uh, things that are happening at the soul level. Uh, when you're discovering what's, how someone's thinking, what they're being motivated by, what they're desiring, uh, the depression is going to be oftentimes produced by what's wrong in, in someone's thinking, motivations, desires. And so scripture tells us what those things should be. And so... I want to know my Bible well enough to be able to identify where those things are um, are wayward, where they're off. And with the scriptures, I want to bring patiently, kindly, gently to that person's uh, life the truth. Yeah. Uh, point them back to scripture. Um, oftentimes, and and we deal with this, just it's common to man. You know, when you're single and you're you're in a, a church context. Christians, solid, solid churches usually have a, a high view of marriage. And so oftentimes the, the singles want to be married. They're not married uh, soon enough. Um, if you're a young lady and there's no prospects on the horizon, that's just hard. And so the, oftentimes that becomes a, an opportunity 
for incredible sadness or discontentment or anxiety or fear. And so uh, just to use that as an example, as we walked with singles, uh, the conversations differ between guys and, and gals. Oftentimes you have to encourage the ladies to not be faint-hearted, to be patient, to wait, to uh, hold to their convictions and be prayerfully content. And for the guys, you know, they need a, a kick in the pants a little bit. What are you doing, you know? Uh, and the correction oftentimes for them, which is interesting. The guys, like, ha are in the driver's seat, but they're sad that they're single, and you're like, well, go date, you know? Yeah. Um, grow up and then go go date. Um, oftentimes That's they're... That's great. There you go. There's, a, there's your dating series <laughs> in two senses. Grow up and go date. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you know, you're having to pull back the reins on some guys. Like I think we need to bring him back in. And uh... <laughs> you're having to pull the reins on some guys, saying, "Hey, you're you're actually not mature enough. Um, just not walking in purity consistently enough, or uh, don't even know what you should be looking for in marriage. Uh, aren't looking to serve those kinds of things. So, helping guys mature." And, and have a right view of marriage, singleness, dating. I think that that's, it's not incredibly hard if you got a guy that's teachable, right? Um, but they're sad because they've got all of their preferences that aren't being met. They look around and the young ladies aren't meeting their ridiculous preferences, which I was that guy, I, was, I almost didn't marry my wife because of my ridiculous preferences. Um, and I thought, well, I know what God says, I thought, but she has to be X, Y, Z, you know, her, this kind of personality. She's got to like these things. She's got to, you know, support me in these kind of things and, and just silly things that really don't matter. They're a big deal to you when you're single. Um, and anyway, just using that as an example, like there's uh, what if you went into a professional psychologist would diagnose as depression and guys and gals, and sometimes just not thinking rightly about singleness is, is at the root of that. So you're always trying to bring the truth to bear on whatever the, um, whatever the need requires, whether it's at the level of motivations, desires, uh, choices that you're making, and how you feel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, so the renewal of the mind is just so, so key in those, those issues. As far as practically kind of walking with somebody in depression, uh, last question, then I'll, I'll open it up to you guys. But like as far as um, what, what have you found to be helpful, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, assignments, growth assignments, homework, you know, for someone who's struggling with, let's say, depression about singleness? Yeah, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 um, is a helpful paradigm for just thinking about an issue like this and lots of other issues as well. And oftentimes, even Christians haven't considered a basic principle like the one articulated in Proverbs 20, verse 5. Uh, just reading from the, the Legacy Standard Bible, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water but a man of discernment draws it out. Um, ESV say, says 
the plans of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. The heart is this, is pictured in this passage as this deep well that has plans or intentions. Um, how you feel is the tip of the iceberg. That's like the, the very end of a long line of counsels, counseling that's just happening as you um, think within yourself. Uh, as you, we, we just have desires with, without any effort whatsoever. We have, we're being motivated by things constantly. And for the Christian, you have to discern what's happening within me, what's happening at the heart level. If you're not able to do that, if you're not able to conscientiously discern what's happening at the level of your soul, oh, what things am I being motivated by? What thoughts am I having? And to actually reflect on, on those things intentionally and then corral your heart, bring the truth to bear on all of those things happening within you, then you're going to be out to sea, <laughs> you know, just... There's, there's nothing anchoring, tethering you, and giving you that stability that God intends his truth to be for his people. Uh, so you've got to know the truth, and you've got to know your own self, your own heart. Uh, the way Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16 uh, is to uh, guard your life and your doctrine. And then he tells the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20 the same thing. Keep close watch over yourselves and your, your teaching. And so you just think about the, the dual, um, just how those things play together to watch my own life and my, my doctrine to know the truth and myself. Uh, if, you, if you can do that, then um, you can always discover God's will and walk in obedience. But that is hard work. You know, uh, if you haven't read the book, Keeping the Heart by John Flavel, it's a short Puritan work, uh, Christian Heritage publishes this. Um, he says in that book, heart work is hard work. Heart work is hard work. Behavior modification is easy. You know, you go to a therapist and they're going to give you a pill, prescribe medication, you go to your doctor, they'll do the same things, just to alter the behavior. And, and that's easy, right? But for the Christian to actually control your life via directing your heart in the way, as Solomon says in, in Proverbs 23, to, to tell your heart what to, to think, to tell your heart how to feel, to tell your heart what to be motivated by, and to do that with the truth, because God's word is powerful, right? To believe the truth is powerful enough to change you from the inside out. That's actual hard work. Um, to, to reflect on my own thoughts and go, you know what? That's actually wrong thinking. And I've been going after, to keep in with our, with our example, marriage. And I've been valuing that more than 
patient, obediently waiting on the Lord for however long he's determined for me to be single. I need to actually reverse that. I need to love more waiting to be married, waiting to be asked out, right? Um, Not placing any demands on God and actually being willing, if it's his will for me, to be single forever. If he's determined this is a better way for me to glorify him, then I actually am going to choose to want to be single if that's what he has for me. You know, some of you even hearing that, that's like, that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> Singleness forever. Uh, but if the, if the Lord has that for you, guys and gals, would you in your own heart determine, you know what, God is wiser than I am. And so if he's chosen a path for me that I wouldn't choose for myself, knowing his goodness, his wisdom, his love for me, and his control of the universe is actually better than what I could do if I possessed, you know, in my own wisdom and goodness, what I would choose for myself. God's better. And so, so long as he's choosing that for me, I'm, I'm going to shepherd my heart. I'm going to guard my heart to choose what God has for me because I believe him uh, more than I would defer to my own wisdom. I mean, that's, that's guarding the heart. That's using the truth to keep watch over your own soul. And that's, that's really where the real fight lies, to live a life, uh, quorum Deo, before God, constantly. Psalm 16 says that Christ did this. Um, the Lord was ever before me, David writes of Christ. And so that's why Jesus always walked in a fe- perfect fear of the Lord, and that's really what the Christian should be striving for constantly. That solves the issues that we're we're talking about in depression and anxiety. Yeah, amen. That's well said. Good word. And relevant, right? Yeah, well, let's, um, let's take some time. It's 10.07 and ask like one or two questions. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go. What are your questions? Raise your hand. Braden, in the back. Yell it out. Yeah, is, every, is every form of anxiety sin? That's what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, is it something that starts out good and, and, and grows to be bad? So if you take Jesus' words in Matthew 6, be anxious for nothing. Or Paul repeats uh, the same command, do not be anxious, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So you have this this thing happening where having concerns, even weighty burdens, uh, that's common to man. There's nothing wrong with being concerned. I'm concerned about the safety of my family and, and, and bringing us to the eighth most dangerous city in the world by some estimations, right? There's, and, and I'm supposed to be concerned about that. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm called by God to provide and protect my family, 
the question, though, that's not anxiety. That's a concern. That's a legitimate human concern. Anxiety is, is faithless concern, right? If I think that it's my job ultimately to protect my family, well, then it's moved from a concern to anxiety because uh, now I'm bearing a burden that only God himself can care for. Uh, and so I would say all anxiety is sin. Uh, the difficulty, for, I think, on a human level is distinguishing, is this a moment of unbelief? Uh, I think that there are clear manifestations of faithless concern. By the time you're having panic attacks, you, can, you don't have to ask, is this a faithless concern or not? <laughs> there's something you're not, there's truth you're not considering in the moment that are producing the unrestrained uh, anxiousness. And so it's not always that clear and, and just constantly bringing the truth to bear in your, your own heart, reminding yourself of the truth uh, to you know, Psalm 131, calm your soul before the Lord. Uh, I think that's the, the goal. And maybe it's not always super clear where I'm at, but bringing your heart back to the truth well, uh, as we read, um, a, man, a, a man of discernment draws it out, right? You need the wisdom of God to draw out of your heart and help you distinguish when you're being anxious and, and just concerned. I think maybe just to add on to what he was saying, one maybe slightly confusing piece here is some English translations will use the term anxiety for what you described as the concerns, mm-hmm. right? Like the non-sinful pressures of life that we feel. Paul felt that with the churches. All the churches. Um, yeah, so there's a category there, and that makes it slightly confusing, Braden. I think, in terms of like when you're just reading your, your, your English version right in front of you, and it's like, well, that, is Paul sinning here? You know, when it says he's anxious for the churches? Um, but I think that's in the category of this sort of normal concern that we have burdens that we feel and then you you hit on it which is it's when it's untethered from faith when it's faithless I think in that and then just practically like in my own life when my heart's pounding and there's things going on it's like the solution's the same you know it's like I'm running back to Christ and running back to his word to stabilize me um, whether it's sinful fear or just normal concerns the concerns of life I mean you're concerned about your safety of your children mm-hmm. what are you doing you're going back and remembering that the Lord's in control mm-hmm of your life that nobody can touch you apart from his hand. I mean, you're counseling your heart in the same kind of way um, as you're taking precautions and think, considering the neighborhoods you're going to live in and some of those things. Like, you're, you're factoring those things in, but it's with truth that's, that's governing you. So if you're like, where's the line? Am I sinfully anxious? Am I not? Like, the, the, the solution's the same. The next step is, like, go back to Scripture um, in, either, in either category. Yeah, that's good. Good question. Yeah. That wasn't a scripted question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so essentially, just repeat the question: Is what role does psycho- if any, does psychology medication play alongside biblical counseling? Yeah. Yeah. And we have 
three minutes. This yeah. is your question, my man. Uh, great resource on that. Actually, the book's out of print, so this might not even be helpful to mention, but The Christian Counselor's Medical Desk Reference by Robert Smith is an excellent resource. He, he addresses chemical imbalances. Um, I have a chemical imbalance. Uh, it's called hypothyroidism. Uh, and, and all that means is the, the chemical imbalances that are actually testable, diagnosable uh, issues in the body, we have names for them. Uh, diabetes is a chemical imbalance, and so it's treated. Uh, the issue when you talk about mental health is we attribute mental health issues to chemical imbalances when the reason they're called chemical imbalances is because it's untestable, unprovable, and so instead of actually labeling it with the actual chemical imbalance, like hypothyroidism, diabetes, uh, there's a worldview that assumes every emotional, um, mental issue, problem, is attributable to a physical cause. That's naturalism. It comes from an atheistic a humanist worldview that doesn't actually believe in the immaterial life that scripture talks about constantly. Heart, soul, mind, spirit are all basically synonymous terms that have to do with the inner self, the inner immaterial part of you, the soul. And because people who don't believe the scriptures don't know what else to do with the mental life, they say, well, it's all a result of the neurons firing in your brain. And so if we can just change your brain's chemistry, then we can fix the mental, uh, the, the uncomfortable mental experiences that, that you have. And so I would say that the, when it comes to the realm of medication, and this, this might sound crazy, I don't know what y'all have talked about so far, but uh, medication is not a valid uh, method of treatment for the Christian if you're talking about mental health issues. That's my position. And there's a longer answer to get there that we don't, unfortunately, we don't have time to, to uncover the nuances to that. But I will say that that is the, in my, in, in my view, the end game answer. I don't think that you can uh, take medication to fix issues like depression and anxiety without falling into uh, the category that Paul mentions in Romans fourteen twenty three. Anything done without faith is sin. And so I, th I think if we believe the scriptures, then we wouldn't turn to that kind of treatment to fix uh, the mental issues. And, and to just prove the point, you'd have to ask, in Jesus' day, before there was medication for those things, how did they address it? If we believe that the scriptures are sufficient, then before Freud, how were we addressing mental health issues? And it wasn't with medication. And Christians have been dealing with these common-to-man problems forever. And, the, and God's word has always been sufficient to address them. Uh, we just need to discover what wisdom God gives in his word to solve those issues for us. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, have you have you read Ed Welch, Blame It on the Brain? 
Can you know I have that? it. It's on my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be another resource that would be a good, a good resource. Ed Welch, Blame It on the Brain. Uh, he speaks pretty clearly to some of these issues and how to, think, how to think through that. We've compared it, medication, to like taking aspirin. That's kind of one of the analogies I used for a, an impacted tooth. So you, yeah. need, you need a root canal. Yep. You don't, like the aspirin's going to maybe take some of that pain away, but mm -hmm. the pain's meant to tell you that you need a root canal. Mm -hmm. And so the root canal is, scriptures, they're sufficient. So if you happen to be on medication, if you're new here, this is the first week, it's not like you're not in sin. Like it's not like a, don't just get off your meds, yeah. right? Like go see your doctor, talk with, them, talk with us about the, the heart issues going on because we can counsel you yeah. while you're on medication. Um, that's not um, that's not a deal breaker at all, and there's no judgment here, you know, on on our side. He's just I think all you're saying is that it doesn't address the root issues, the spiritual issues that are going on, and I, the danger is thinking that it does. Yeah, and yeah. and and it's like uh, you know the person with an impacted tooth taking aspirin to remove the the pain. Uh, there's a deeper issue that you have to get at. They right. need an actual root canal. That's right. right? Um, if you're on medication, I would encourage you not to just drop the medication right. uh, because the reason you're taking it is for underlying issues that still are unaddressed. Um, so you need to actually work with a wise friend, uh, shepherds, uh, to help you learn how to deal with those, those problems as you talk about a plan with them and your, your doctor to actually come down off of those. Because that's a very hard thing to do. Yes. Um, yeah. people get put into medically induced comas because it's so difficult. Yeah. Uh, we had a gal in our church who was just a, an incredible testimony of coming down off of medication, but it's, you know, she describes it as certain times she felt like she was going to die because of the physical effects of coming off of those things. The medications are so strong. Yeah. So there's a lot of wisdom that needs to be taken in doing that. Right. Well, good word. We're going to wrap up there, and uh, he'll be around, and um, definitely get to know him, his family, sweet family, and uh, yeah, just feel free to, if you didn't get to ask any questions, ping him um, today or, or sometime. So, thank you, Army. Let's pray for you. Thanks. Father, we're just so thankful and reminded of the sufficiency of Scripture and how you've not left us without real answers to our problems. Thank you for the spirit who applies the word to our, our lives and our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. And um, we do pray for, um, for Omri and his family and this new venture that they're, they're undertaking in a few months in, uh, in New Orleans. And we pray, Lord, um, just for fruit. There's so many things we could pray for, but we pray for... Um, for them to trust you, for you to increase their faith, stabilize them as they are thinking about this transition, and that uh, in weeks and years to come that you would produce much fruit from the sacrifices that are made from both Omri and his family and the families that are going with them. And thank you that we know that you will save and sanctify your people um, in that city. And we just intercede on their behalf right now that, that you would do that work through them. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.